um, as relatively newlyweds, barely married over a year, um, moved to Jackson for seminary. And at that time, he became our pastor. Um, and in the summer of 2011, I was his intern um, and worked with him there at the church. And he was my boss, one of my theology professors, but most importantly, he was my pastor. And I can tell you, having worked in his office for several years, that the man lives above reproach and that there was never a moment um, where I said, well, Ligon, what are you doing? You see a lot of things when you work with someone for that many years, and he has been the example of pastoral ministry and a ministry mentor. I learned from him to love the church dearly, which isn't always an easy thing to do. But more importantly, to love my family more. And most importantly, to love Jesus and his word, because that's all we have in the end. Ligging, come and preach the gospel for us this morning. Thank you, Kevin. And it's a special joy to be here with Hunter and Kevin and with you, especially on this Lord's Day when you will uh, ordain and install a new associate pastor in the congregation and to celebrate this with Kevin and Emily and the family and the rest of you is a very, very special thing. So thank you for giving me the joy of being able to participate in that today. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open with me to just one verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I want you to think, as we get ready to hear these words read, about this question. Are you sure that God loves you? How do you know that God loves you? Many believers struggle with assurance, with knowing that God loves them, with knowing that God is for them. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Rome precisely to help them with that question. If you look at the questions that he addresses in Romans chapter 8, it's very clear that that is on his pastoral heart. He wants the Roman Christians to be assured that God will never leave them or forsake them, that God is for them, that God loves them. So let's bear that in mind before we read God's word and let's pray and ask for his help and blessing again as we do so. Heavenly Father, this is your word. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Your word is the way you grow us in grace. Your word is truth, so sanctify us by your truth. We cannot understand your word apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, so open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And do all this, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of God. Hear it in Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. The Apostle Paul is asking the Roman Christians to look at the cross and then ask themselves this question. 
am I sure that God will provide for me what I need? When they're questioning whether God is for them, whether God will be with them, whether God will provide for them, his answer is point them to the cross and ask yourself that question again. And it's in particular four things that he points out from the cross that are designed to assure us of salvation. And I want you to look at those four things under the rubric that I've given in the sermon title today, Father's Love, Son's Worth, Wrath's Weight, and Grace's Substitute. There are many, many ways the Bible helps us with assurance. There are many, many ways that the Bible assures us of God's love for us. But Paul, in particular, points us to the cross and asks us to see four things that we learn at the cross. And the first thing he wants us to learn (coughs) is that the Father loves us. Now, we've already sung, and it has already been said repeatedly in the service that Jesus shows his love for us at the cross. That is absolutely true. And the Bible speaks about it repeatedly. Jesus speaks about it repeatedly. Remember, he says, Greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that for us at the cross. And so we certainly see the love of Jesus Christ at the cross. And in no way do I want to diminish or undermine your sense of or appreciation of the love of Christ as it is displayed at the cross. But listen to what Paul said in Romans 8.32. He who spared not his own son. He's focused on the love of the Father, which is displayed in the giving of the Son at the cross. And have you ever thought about it? That happens in other places in the New Testament as well. So John 3.16 is one of the first verses we ever memorize. We, we think of it as a summarization of the gospel. It is. It's a great verse to use when you're trying to explain the gospel to someone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, listen to that verse. The love that John is talking about in John 3.16, whose love is it? For God so loved the world that he gave. Whose love is in view? The Father's love in giving the Son. The Father's love is specified by the giving of his only begotten Son. That happens repeatedly in the New Testament where we focus on the love of God in the giving of the Son at the cross. That's so important for us to understand that at the cross, Jesus is not trying to get the Father to love us. Jesus is on the cross because the Father loves us. Sometimes we have the idea that God the Father is angry and he's all about justice and he can't wait to zap you for your sins. And Jesus is merciful and gracious and he's asking the Father not to be so mean. That's not the picture of the cross at all. The cross is the provision of a loving father. He loves his children so much that in order to fulfill the dictates of his holy justice, he gives his son that he might show mercy. We sing about this. Maybe you know the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. 
Remember the very first line? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. That's exactly what is on display at the cross. The depth of the Father's love in the giving of His Son. That's one of the reasons why we can be sure that God is for us. That He was ready to give His only Son in our place. If you want to have assurance of salvation, surely one of the things that that is going to be grounded in and based on is an apprehension that your Father has given His only begotten Son for you that you might be His child. But secondly, Paul points us to the worth of the Son as a reason for our assurance. Notice what he says. He who did not spare His own Son. That phrase speaks of the uniqueness of the relationship between the Father and the Son. That's expressed in John 3.16 by calling Jesus the only begotten Son. He is entirely unique. He sustains a totally unique relationship with the Father. I loved the passage that was read this morning in worship from Colossians. Earlier in that passage, you know what Jesus is called? The Son of His love. The Son of the Father's love. Isn't that a beautiful title for the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of His love. They had an utterly unique relationship, and the Father delighted in the Son. You remember the baptism of Jesus? Jesus goes to John the Baptist, and he says, John, uh, baptize me. And John says, you have got to be kidding. There is no way that I'm going to baptize you. You need to baptize me, Jesus. I have no business baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, John, you're going to do this. And you're going to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now, there's a whole sermon in explaining just that phrase right there, and I don't have time to do it. But the point is this. Jesus did that baptism because he wanted to obey his Father's word. And how did God respond to it? The heavens opened. The Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and God the Father spoke and said what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, at the cross, Jesus was even excelling that obedience to the Father. He was doing something that had never, ever been done. Greater love had never been seen. He was not only fulfilling all the commands of God positively, He was bearing in his own body the punishment for the breaking of those commands. Not that he had done, but that you and I had done. And surely the father wanted to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, if we had been gathered with a crowd that day, the mob, you know, that would have always shown up when there was a crucifixion, we would have seen Jesus simply as another criminal. Probably a common criminal. He was, he was hanging between two thieves. One was a robber. Who knows what the other one did? And yet when God saw Jesus on the cross, he didn't see a common criminal. He saw his own son, his beloved son. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look at who the Father gave for you. He gave his own son. C.H. Spurgeon once provocatively said something. 
He said, when you look at the cross, you have to ask yourself this question. Does the Father love me more than he loves his own son? Now, be very careful how you answer that question. If you say yes, you're a heretic. But you see what Spurgeon is saying. Spurgeon is, Spurgeon is saying the cross forces on you this question. I know I deserve to be there, God, but I'm not there. Your son is there for me. In other words, Spurgeon is saying there's no way you can look at the cross and really think about it and not know how much your father loves you because he was willing to give his only begotten son for you. That's the measure of his love. But third, Paul wants us to contemplate the weight of the wrath of God that Jesus bore in our place. Notice again the language. He who did not spare his own son. The, the son was not spared what we deserved. And think about this, my friends. This is a solemn thing. Jesus did not receive more than we deserved. You think what Jesus received. He did not receive more than we deserved. And then the language, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up. That's technical language. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses it at least twice. He says on one occasion that he is going to be delivered up by the chief priests and scribes. And in one place he says, I'm going to be delivered up by one of you, by Judas. But when you get to Matthew 27 and Jesus cries from the cross, the cry of forsakenness, he doesn't say, chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say, Judas, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't even say, Peter, why have you denied me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, in other words, cries the cry of forsakenness because he is bearing wrath. As the sin bearer, he is bearing the unmitigated wrath of God. He's bearing all that we deserved as the Father meets out his justice on him. Listen to the language of Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Jesus is the sin bearer. It was quoted earlier in the service in song, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was the sin bearer. He was the wrath bearer. He was bearing the weight. The, the, our catechism says he felt and bore the weight of the wrath of God. And it's, it, it's, a, uh, it's a sobering thing, my friends, to realize that when you get to heaven, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel, when you get to heaven, you will not meet a single redeemed sinner who knows what it is like to bear the weight of the wrath of God. The only person in heaven who knows what it is like to bear the weight of the wrath of God is the only person who didn't deserve to bear it. Jesus. And he bore that wrath in your place. And Paul is saying, look at what Jesus bore for you. How can, how can you doubt that God loves you? The Father loves you and gave his Son. It's his precious Son that he gave for you. The Father caused the Son to bear the wrath you deserved in your place. How can you question whether God loves you? 
But there's one more thing that I want you to see in Romans 8.32. It's a little phrase at the end. You could miss it. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Don't miss that. That's very important. When you think about the cross, one of the things that we often don't think but should is how wrong the cross is. Um, Some of you have read or heard the sermons of John Piper. He wrote a book called Spectacular Sins. And in that book, Spectacular Sins, he argues that the most spectacular sin that was ever committed was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's right about that, of course. The cross is the most wicked thing that ever happened. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get your attention. The cross is the most wicked thing that has ever happened. But you're saying to me, but, but, but God planned the cross. Yes, he did. And it's the most wicked thing that ever happened. Why am I saying that? Because on the cross, the wrath of God is poured out on the one place in the universe that it had no right to be poured out. What, what had Jesus done to deserve the wrath of God? Nothing. I mean, if it had been you and me, that would have made sense. If it had been the entirety of the human race, that would have been sin, made sense because we've all rebelled. All of us have gone astray. Everyone to his own way. All are unrighteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. That would have made perfect sense. But the combination of the cross and Jesus, that makes no sense. How in the world can it be right for the righteous God to pour his wrath out on a righteous victim? That's why you need that little phrase, for us all. Because that phrase connects Jesus to his people and renders him vulnerable to our sentence. In other words, the father says, my son, the only way that they can be saved is for justice to be fulfilled by someone else in their place. And the son says to the father, I want to do that for them. I want to bear that for them. And the son bears what we deserve. And Paul says, look at that. Look at what he did. Nobody took his life from me. Remember what Jesus says? No man takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. I chose this. Nobody murders me. No matter takes my life away, I lay my life down. He even stresses this, doesn't he, from the cross when he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's as if Jesus says, okay, I am ready to die now. I will die now. (laughs) He's on the cross and he's deciding when he dies. Why? Because he has willingly taken your place. He is in complete control of what is happening on the cross. The Roman soldiers may think that they're in charge. The chief priests and scribes may think that they're in charge. They're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. The Father is in charge. And they are doing it deliberately for you in your place. And the Father says, look at that. And then answer this question. How will I not freely give you all things? If I've given you Jesus, how will I not take care of you? How will I not provide for you? How will I not love you? How can you possibly wonder whether I'll leave you or forsake you? Paul points us to the cross and says, this is how much God loves you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together in your word. We ask that you would now bless this truth as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.